Isaiah chapter 9. Man, I've enjoyed myself so much already. And who doesn't enjoy a trip to the mountains? My family has vacationed just a few miles from here over in Franklin uh, for many, many years now. I'd, I'd say getting close to 20 years almost every year. We go over there to a little fish camp called Anselmo's. Jerry Anselmo is the guy's name. And we float and fish and camp and eat and and what a beautiful place this is. I know you hear that all the time. I, I know it's like a broken record, but it is a beautiful place. And then a church like this, just something about it that just moves the emotion. You see a beautiful church like this on the side of the road, and you think about all that God has done in a place like this over the years. And uh, I'm a believer in the old-time religion, and it just sort of exudes that impression and it's a great looking place. And then you come in and it's friendly and it's and it, everything is up to date. It looks great in here. And uh, it's just everything. About, the piano player is fantastic. Amen. That might be one of your worries in a little church like this. You think, well, if I can get through the <laughs> piano playing, we'll be okay. And man, what a great piano player you have and great singing. And uh, I'm excited to have three nights to be able to preach here. And I certainly hope that uh, it will be a blessing. Uh, if, if we can get to the Word of God, it, it can be, for sure. There's nothing that I have to say that is of any significance at all. And uh, we're not here to hear what I have to say about the Bible. We really need to think about what the Bible has to say Amen. to us. Right. All right? But I want to make one appeal to you. Well, Wednesday night, that's the last night. I'm sure that a lot of the area folks will be in their churches I'm guessing, unless somebody's bringing their people here. and uh, But if, if Wednesday night, if there's going to be a night where I would preach that would have some application to lost people directly, it would be Wednesday night. Now, that doesn't mean if you're a Christian, it's not for you. Don't read too much into that. All right, just, just try to bring someone with you Wednesday night that really needs to hear an old-fashioned revival kind of a sermon, okay? And and just try to work on that. Do your best and, and call every friend you've got. Call in every favor you've got. Cry, plead, make stuff up, whatever you got to do. <laughs> Tell them that Brother Nate will, will, will buy them something uh, expensive. Whatever you got to do. Uh, but anyway, and let's try to, you know, uh, I, I think we get too relaxed. I'd like to see somebody saved. I don't know if you would. I would. But you can't see somebody saved if there are no lost people here to preach to. Right. So let's try to get some here. Amen. And um, so we'll have a, uh, hopefully tonight will be a, uh, an exhortation that will be useful to you, a little uh, appetizer. And then we'll have a couple of main courses Amen. the next two nights. Really appreciate you letting me come. And I'm just thrilled to be here. And um, praise the Lord. Man, I'm so, so good to hear uh, Paul and Kelsey sing. And um, I just think they're fantastic, even even though they're mine. I love them. All right, Isaiah chapter 9. I've got a really fancy pocket square here that won't stay out. It really bothers me. What's the point of having it? It won't stay out. Here, I'll get it really high like that. And then that way, some maybe we'll, when, it gets, when it drops completely out of sight, it's time to stop preaching. How's that? That's it. All right. <laughs> What's that? Yeah. Everybody's praying, please let the hanky drop. All right, Isaiah chapter 9. Very familiar passage of scripture that is often associated 
with Christmas time, okay? And that's not all bad, but I would challenge you to uh, uh, emancipate yourself from the obsessive notion that the incarnation, the birth of the Savior is just about Christmas, okay? There's a profound theological necessity in the incarnation. God had to become flesh in order to bear our sins. So that is theology 101, absolutely necessary, central, key, all right? Let's go to Isaiah 9 and verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Now, here's the old outline. For Christmas, for the cradle, the cross, and the crown. Amen. <laughs> Unto us a child is born. There's the cradle, the manger scene. Unto us a son is given. There's the cross, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. There's the crown. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Now, I hear some quibble about whether or not that is five titles or four titles. But in my Bible, there's a comma after wonderful in my King James Bible. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and go with the comma. That's, I mean, just call me crazy. I'm going with the comma, okay? You won't, you won't mind if I call Jesus wonderful, will you? Would that be okay with you? All right. He, his name should be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Wow is right. Verse 7 is loaded with powerful and important information. As a matter of fact, most preachers and most Christians would say the theme of the Scripture is verse 6, our salvation. That is absolutely not the theme of the Scripture. That's, that's incidental. I'm not the theme of the Scripture. Me getting saved is not the theme of the ages. The theme of the ages is the King of kings receiving glory that he is due. And that's what we see in verse 7. And even Ephesians chapter 1 says our conversion is to be to the praise of His glory. Even though our getting saved is fantastic, there's something more important even than that. And that is that God gets glory from that conversion. Amen. Man, what a wonderful two verses. And here's what I'd like for us to talk about tonight. And, and I, when I call it an exhortation, I mean it's my desire that you go home tonight encouraged. Okay. And, and we can preach deeper sermons and say deeper things and get into some deeper water. But tonight I want to encourage you. And, um, and I, I want to say this. I want to say that Jesus really is the answer. Amen. Okay? There really is victory in Jesus. Amen. That's not just a shallow bumper sticker slogan. That's not just something we stitch on a sofa cushion. That, 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 that's really true. Amen. He is the answer. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for the Word of God. We are so grateful that we get to come here tonight to open the Word and to preach it. I pray that these precious people who have taken time to be here tonight and sit and listen to what I'm going to say, 
I pray they'll be helped. Please, Lord, let them get something from the Word of God that will be eternally useful and profitable. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The essential elements of the Christian faith are found here in this well-known passage. As we have already noted, we have the doctrine of the incarnation set forth. And as in our view, and the incarnation, as you know, that word's not a Bible word, doesn't come from the Scripture. It's a theological word that describes something that happens in the Scripture. Incarnation, incarnate or incarnal, right, means in the flesh, the incarnation is that moment that God became flesh and dwelled among us. And the Bible says that um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? Amen. So Jesus did not come into being in Bethlehem. He is eternal. He became flesh when He was born in Bethlehem. Amen. So that's an essential truth an essential element of the Christian faith. And then the vicarious death of Christ there on the cross, bearing the sins of the world. That is the potential for, that is the provision for the doctrine of, the ju of justification by faith. Without that, there is no Christianity. Without that, no one is saved. And so thank God for the cross, amen. We glory in the cross. We rejoice in that message. We preach Jesus. Amen. That's what Christianity is about. But then... We get to that often overlooked part, and I don't know why, but a third of the Bible deals with his kingdom at least. A third of the Bible deals with that time when Jesus Christ will come back to this earth in the flesh, rule and reign from the throne of David in a literal, earthly, visible, Jewish, messianic kingdom for a thousand years. The Bible says he'll do that, see? But we don't preach on that. And the reason we don't is because it doesn't relate in our minds directly to our perceived needs. It doesn't scratch an immediate itch. But if we're to glory in what he glories in, we've got to talk about that kingdom. We've got to look forward to that moment when he's going to make everything right. Amen. Ah, there's a lot of rabbits I like to chase right there, but victory can be ours. Jesus is the answer. I was riding around with my father-in-law one day and we saw a billboard that said Jesus is the answer and he said, what's the question? And I said, it doesn't matter. Amen? <laughs> and that's true. It does not matter. Whatever the question is, Christ is the answer. He has the answer. He provides the answer. We know the Bible tells us if we're going to understand the Scripture, if we're going to be a faithful student of the Scripture, we must rightly what? Rightly divide the word of truth. That means that we have to be able to, ob to observe distinctions in the Word of God. We have to be able to notice things that are different, see? Even things that appear to be the same but are not the, are not the same. For instance, in the book of Revelation, we have two men riding white horses. One is the Antichrist and one is Jesus. Okay? That's definitely not the same, but it seems to be the same. Amen? Right? And so the careful, discerning student of the Scripture will have to learn to rightly divide, to make a difference between things, or rather to observe a difference between things that are disparate, that are not the same. Okay. Now, having said that, the most essential division in the Scripture, in my way of seeing things, and you may have your own opinion, 
that the most important division in the Scripture is the division that has to be made between Israel and the church. The Bible says that he came into his own. That's a group. But his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. That's the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's Jesus, That's God dealing with nations in the Old Testament, like the book of Daniel, for instance, like him calling the nation of Israel out as a peculiar people unto himself. And the scripture says that Israel would not be reckoned among the nations, and he's dealing with nations. That's why there's warfare. That's why there's wiping out of whole groups of people because of their wickedness reaching its full potential and God's judgment being poured out upon nations. The Old Testament is a different economy. God's dealings in the New Testament is with individuals, whosoever will, let him come. The Bible says in Acts that he's calling out a people for his name. I don't want to get on a hobby horse, but just to illustrate what I'm saying, I love America and thank God for America, but God, listen, God is not dealing with nations now. If you think a nation that, is a, that has murdered 56 million infants since 1970 is God's special people, I'm just telling you, friend, you've bumped your noggin. So God is calling people out. See, the church is a spiritual organism and organization. Now, having said that, we see here in our text that Jesus is the answer for Israel. If we were to dig into the book of Isaiah and take the time to do that, we would understand the context here is that the people of Israel are on the cusp of extreme and severe judgment. The Assyrians are about to overwhelm Israel and they're going to go into captivity into Assyria and we're going to see this great devastation, this disappointing apostasy is reaching its apex. And Isaiah is talking about the darkness and the dismal conditions, the judgment that is rife among his people in these early chapters in the book of Isaiah. So when we read here in chapter 9 and verse 6 and 7, we are reading that there's still hope for Israel. That's that burning bush type. You see that burning bush, you understand that that's a type of Israel how that Israel will experience great trial, great difficulty, great affliction through the years and through the centuries, but God will never consume Israel because God has a plan for Israel that has not yet been fulfilled. Watch this. That's what the word covenant is dealing with. Be careful about those who can't read different words in their English Bible. A testament and a covenant is different. The way I know that is, well, they're different words. A testament is a will, okay? It is in force after a person dies. We are taking part in the New Testament. The new covenant doesn't have anything to do with us. It has to do with Israel. Israel had a new co- or an old covenant, and the new covenant will be in force in that kingdom where he will fulfill all those promises to Israel that are yet to be fulfilled. The only other answer is if we spiritualize them and then we go back to Rome. 
Then as a people, we move back toward Protestantism, back toward post-millennialism, back toward Rome. Amen? Amen? All right. Don't get bored on me, but this is a Bible conference, right? Amen. Okay. Now, I guess if I'm boring, you can get bored, right? I guess that's my fault. <laughs> but I want you to hold your place here and look to 1 Corinthians 15. If, if we make a division between Israel and the church... Now, let me listen. As a dispensationalist, I understand this. And I believe with all of my heart that there are groupings and pigeonholes for passages of Scripture. And you've got to know who wrote it, who they wrote, who wrote it to, in order to understand it. But that doesn't mean that I don't believe all the Bible's not for me. I believe every bit of the Bible's for me. All of the Bible's written for me. Not all the Bible's written to me. But all the Bible's written for me. There's a difference in that statement. We're not building arcs and offering sacrifices, right? But, but okay, all right, we'll get to that later. So, understanding that Israel's hope is this coming Messiah that is pre prophesied in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. We see here in 1 Corinthians 15 a similar promise. What I'm trying to get to is to say this, that in all of the Scripture there are timeless truths that we can rejoice in, Okay? Timeless truths. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So we have victory through the Lord Jesus Christ, in this New Testament era, in the church age, we have victory in Jesus just like Israel has victory in Jesus. Now I want to try to encourage you tonight, church, and, and tell you that if you don't feel victorious, that has nothing to do with reality. Because feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. But my wants and the Word of God, not else, is worth believing. Your feelings will lie to you. Your depressions will deceive you. Your difficulties will mislead you. The voices in your head are almost always wrong. But God's word we can stand on. Amen. The Spirit is our guide, but be careful about this mysticism that seems to prevail in all of our churches these days. The Spirit of God does lead, and I believe in the Holy Ghost as much as any old-time preachers ever believed in the Holy Ghost. But the Bible calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of truth. The Bible says that He will guide us into all truth. He brings these things to remembrance. The Holy Spirit is not the voice in your head. If you are led by the Spirit of God, you better have some Scripture to show me. Otherwise, you are acting on your impulses. Amen. That felt really good. I, I just felt like I got something off my chest right there. Good. Isaiah chapter 9. If this is true that Jesus really is the answer, if we really do have victory in Jesus, I, listen, I've got people, our church, the church I'm pastoring now, we, we had probably just shy of 50 Sunday. We should be having 65 every week, but you know how that goes. And 
I can look all around the auditorium and I can look, I, I, there's problem after problem after problem after problem after problem in that group of about 60 plus people. Some of the problems are excruciating. I, I'm talking about really heavy burdens that I, 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 don't, I don't see any light for these people, but I know that there is. That makes sense? And I, I've got personal experiences and family experiences where there were times where it didn't look like there was any way out or any way up. But God's word is true and Jesus is the answer and he does always give us the victory in Christ Jesus. There is joy in the morning. See? So I just want to encourage you with that thought tonight. You may be completely irritated by all of the circumstances of your life. But look, it doesn't have to stay that way. By the way, being irritated by it might ensure that it will stay that way longer than you want it to. The Bible says a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. We have the idea that if I'll, get, if I'll feel better, I'll get merry. But the Bible says be merry and you'll feel better. That's the way it works. Sometimes you just have to decide, look, I don't care if the whole thing goes up in smoke. I'm going to enjoy the journey while I can. I may lose my job, my house, my wife may leave, but I'll go to Waffle House and get some, I'll get some hash browns and some chili. I'll be fine. Amen. Okay, so what, what kind of a challenge for us tonight out of this text that might be meaningful? I wanna, I wanna, I'm going to give you five challenges, as fast as I can give them to you, to sort of put an exclamation point on the statement that as Christians, we have the victory. We, um, we really are on the winning side. And if that's the case, we may have to wait for some of those blessings, but in the meantime, that's what we're talking about tonight. In the meantime, okay, all right? Number one, the Bible says here that his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, I feel like those are descriptions of his character and that, that those are descriptions of his name. That this is who he is, all right? Number one, he's wonderful. So here's my challenge to you tonight. Don't be bored. How's that for deep? Don't be bored. Be delighted. How can a born-again believer be bored? How can a person who has the very words of God in his possession be bored. You, you understand, these are God's words. We say, so, boy, I wish the Lord would speak to me. What, what else does he need to say? If he did speak to you, this is what he would say. We have his words. There's no need to be bored. He's wonderful. I like that word. He's wonderful. You know, it's been said that the world will never starve for a want of wonders but only a want of wonder. We are so fascinated with our phones and our technology, and I'm not trying to be an old bald-headed guy preaching against stuff that I don't like. I have a smartphone. wouldn't want to live without it. I use a computer. I'm all for it. I like technology. I love these screens. They're beautiful. They add something useful to the service. I like that. I'm all for it, but sometimes you have to tell yourself, stop looking at this cotton-picking phone. 
There, there, there are wildflowers down the side of the road that are more interesting than most of what's on that phone. There are wonders everywhere. If you live here and you're bored, I'm just telling you, you need a psychiatrist. Okay? I don't want to offend you. But if you live here in this part of the country and you're bored, you've got to wake up. Jesus Christ is filled with reasons to be delighted. Here's the reason that's important. Wonder is the basis for worship. See, worship is our response to all that God is. That's why we sing hymns together and exalt Him and delight in Him because that begins to stir the passions of worship. To worship is to love God. It's to adore Him and then to do the things that you would do that are consistent with that passion. So wonder is important. It's not just something to entertain us like the little toys we dangle in front of my grandson. It's bigger than that. Wonder is something that causes us to experience our Christian life the way it ought to be experienced. If you're bored, I'm tr- I don't want to be a smart aleck, but it's your fault. There are plenty of things to be delighted in. Maybe you should push a reset button and say, I tell you what, I'm going to start reading my Bible like I did when I first got saved. I'm going to start praying, thinking that maybe God will do something if I talk to him again. I'm going to start living my Christian life like, you know what, even the basics are good. Amen. I mean, honestly, what is better than gravy and biscuits and a big pile of bacon? I mean, honestly. It's not fancy, but it's better than what fancy usually is. Wonderful. Not only that, the Bible says he's counselor. If we say, don't be bored, be delighted, because he's wonderful. The fact that he's counselor, I want to say this. Don't be bewildered. Be directed. No Christian should feel as if they have no idea where to turn. If you feel like you have no idea where to turn, you've somehow lost your faith. You've lost your connection with the very basic truths of Christianity. He said, come unto me, all you that labored or heavy laden, and I will give you rest, right? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Don't be bewildered. The reason we're often bewildered or one of the reasons is because we've got this idea about how things are supposed to go in our lives. But friends, we don't know. We just don't know. i got a brother who is... um, a missions and outreach director in a church in our area. It's one of the fastest growing churches in the country, top 50 fastest growing churches in America a few years ago. They'll have 4,500 on Easter. They see tons of people saved. He has an amazing ministry. Now he's working with world missions and travels on a regular basis all over the world seeing people saved. When I was pastoring them back in Florida, he spent five and a half years in the federal penitentiary. Those were dark days. Well, we went into that courtroom and the judge said 84 months and I I can't breathe. I'm trying to tabulate. I'm trying to divide 84 by 12 and I'm not real, I mean, I'm horrible. Amen. ACE education. I had no idea how to divide 84 by 12. 
I figured, man, he's going to be in prison for five and a half years. My father said, my father went to be with the Lord recently. Great praying man. These, this is a personal thing. I'll let you in on a little personal item. Dad said to me that day when we got in the car in the parking lot of that, court, that courthouse, these are the words my father said to me. This is the first time God's ever let me down. You remember how Job said that, that those who suffer their words are as wind? They don't even know what they're saying. They're speaking out of their grief. So my mom begins to pray and say, looking for reasons and ways and hopes that he's going to get out early. I finally had to say, Mom, he's not getting out early. This is a federal offense. He's going to be in there for all of it. He's not getting out. So you've got to get your head around that. Well, we've got to get our minds around that and the grace of God which could get him out. Yes, he could, but he's not. That grace will get us through it. And that bewilderment over time, the praying and giving it to God, we began to see that the very things we had prayed for, God was answering our prayers. But it was going to take five and a half years to answer them, to change him and to help him and to protect his family and to help his kids. And so there had to be those hours of tears and those dark days and those difficulties. But never be bewildered because he's the counselor. Take what you've got and lay it at his feet and say, Lord, here's my mess. I don't know what to do with it. I'll do what I know to do. I'll go to church Sunday. I'll take my Bible. I'll hear a sermon. I'll do my best to respond to it. I'll try to walk with you every day. I'll try to sing the songs of Zion. I'll try to tell people that God can be trusted. And in the meantime, I'll wait to see what you're going to do. Yes, sir. He's the counselor. Not only is he wonderful counselor, but the Bible says he's mighty God. Don't be bored, friend. Be delighted. Don't be bewildered. Be directed. We have his word. It's a lamp into our feet, a light into our paths. We know what to do. Number three, he's mighty God. Let me say this to you. Don't be burdened. Be dependent. Go to 1 Peter 5. Don't be burdened. Now, I know what you're thinking. People love to say this when they're struggling. They'll say, well, that's easy for you to say. <laughs> well, it is. Yes, it is easy for me to say. But I'm not saying don't be burdened in the sense that pretend like you don't have problems. Everybody's got problems. But that problem does not have to be an excessive burden to you. Does that make sense? You can unburden those yourself of those burdens. In other words, you can make sure that that burden doesn't define you, define you, but rather your dependence upon God in the time of difficulty will define you. 1 Peter 5, look at verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore. Let's back up to verse 5. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. By the way, can I say this? When we're in trouble, when we're broken, when we're struggling, when we're hurting, when we're having a hard time, you know what one of the first things is to go is our humility. We become self-centered. I shouldn't be having to, having to go through this. They shouldn't talk to me like that. I shouldn't be treated like that. I don't deserve to go. See, but our humility goes out the window. It's the first thing that happens. We become bitter and useless. But notice it says, For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. So we get into trouble 
out goes the humility, and guess what we get now? The resistance of God, and that's what we're going to get till we humble ourselves. And when we humble ourselves, the resistance becomes grace. Isn't that a blessing? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. He's the mighty God, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. I assure you, he cares that your heart's broken, but he will not play games with your pride. He cares, and he'll be right there when you get ready to stop with the tantrum. He'll be right there. (laughs) Humble yourself. Don't be burdened. Be dependent. Yeah, I've got this heavy weight. Don't put it on the Lord. Be careful. Be careful about all the misinformation, about prayer and mysticism and the TV preachers. You got to be careful about all that. The Bible says that we can have what we pray for when we pray in Jesus' name. That doesn't mean tacking a phrase on the end of a prayer. If it did, I'd have a lot more stuff than I've got now. Amen. I'd, I'd have that. I'd have that that new bass boat. I'd just say, Lord, let me have that new bass boat, please, and the brand new tundra to pull it with. In Jesus' name, Amen. So that's not the way that works. In Jesus' name means that you're doing it at His behest. You're doing it with His authority. Just like if a guy works for a company and he has a right to go down to the building supply and sign off on X amount of building supply so he can go work this project, it doesn't mean he can get whatever he wants for his own projects. No, he has only the authority to do what he's commissioned to do by the boss. Within those parameters, in the boss's name, he can get all that's coming to him for that project. When the Bible says that we can pray in Jesus' name and get what we want, it means that we're praying in that context. Right? If if my words abide in you, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will and shall be done unto you. What's the point? The more Bible that goes in you, the more your prayers change. You start praying praying prayers, he'll answer. Now, let's bring that now back to our context. The Apostle Paul goes to the Lord three times over a thorn in the flesh. Three times he goes to the Lord and the Lord says no three times. To Paul. Well, why didn't Paul heal himself? Wasn't there an apostle somewhere that could lay hands on him? Couldn't they have some kind of a, you know, ecclesiastical circus? And somebody gets slain in the spirit and Paul's thorn in the flesh leave? Evidently not, because God said no three times. And what did he tell him? My grace is sufficient for thee. This one, Paul, you got to bear. Okay? You'll carry this one. And it's going to be just as much a miracle that I'm going to strengthen you while you carry it as it would be if I took it away from you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. So I'm not trying to be a smart aleck to you tonight. I'm trying to encourage you. If you've got a burden and you're discouraged, and I'm sorry for that. It, it It may be that you've got something deeply painful like a wayward child or some horrible difficulty like that or a loss in your family. You, you've got to take that burden and put it on the Lord. Here it is. Number four. Everlasting Father. Boy, that's a good one, isn't it? Everlasting Father. I would encourage you, church, to not be bored, but be delighted. 
There's so many things to learn, so many new things about the Lord to rejoice in. What does the Bible say? His mercies are new every morning or is, yeah. Isn't that something? No reason to be bored. Don't be bewildered. Be directed. Get back to the scripture. Do what you know to do and, and leave some of the stuff with God. Don't be burdened. Be dependent. Don't, in other words, don't be defined by your burden. Okay? Number four, everlasting father. He's the everlasting father. Watch this. Don't be bounded. Be deepened. We live such limited lives, such shallow, superficial lives. We very seldom get past the parroted theology that we've always heard and the stuff that we've learned from our southern gospel music, some of which may be great, some of which completely unscriptural. We never get around that stuff because we don't get into that part of the Christian walk that connects us with the everlasting Father. The Bible says in Psalm 90, verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. How about that? I think God knows what he's doing, don't you? I'm amazed at these Christians. And Listen, I don't want you to bail out on me over politics, I don't care who you vote for. I'm just being perfectly honest with you. I just don't care. I got too many things to concern myself. I don't care. I care about this book and the New Testament church and doing God's work. But I'm amazed at the people who really feel like that the whole world would have stopped turning had Hillary gotten elected. Now, I don't think I have to tell you where I'm at on that. You can just venture a guess, Okay. But had she gotten elected, God would not have gone, oh, my word, now what am I going to do? He's the everlasting father, right? Back when Romney was running against Obama, we got a Muslim running against a Mormon. I got a friend who said we got a Mormon running against a Muslim, and God thought we needed the Muslim. Yep, they choked on that. Y'all have read that verse that says, the Lord setteth up whom he will, right? Right, amen. I mean, which is worse? Not any worse. Hell's hell. I mean, which? Heresy's heresy. Apostasy's apostasy. What I'm trying to get you to see is all that stuff we're obsessed with, that we think our faith rides on it, the future of the church is hanging in the balance if we don't elect the right man, that's malarkey. We worship and serve the everlasting Father. He knows the end from the beginning. This world's seen bad times before. Let me remind you of something. When my dad was a young man, let me tell you what my dad saw in his days. He saw the Vietnam War. Not, not a little skirmish in the Middle East. He saw forty to 60,000 Americans die over a war that almost everybody now says, wow, we probably shouldn't have been over there. What? what? Yeah. We're going to lose 60,000 people over something we're not sure we should have done? Yeah. See? Watch this. A president gets assassinated. JFK is assassinated. His brother, the attorney general, Robert Kennedy, assassinated. Martin Luther King Jr., assassinated. Um, Malcolm X assassinated and the governor of Alabama 
George Wallace was, was shot, but they didn't assassinate him. Are y'all, are y'all with me? The point I'm trying to make is we're not seeing people assassinated every four months. How about my grandfather's generation? How about World War II? How about Hitler goose-stepping across Europe? How about Stalin, who is is bad or worse than Hitler, and he's our ally? (laughs) It's our buddy Joe, old Joe Stalin. He only kills 60 million people. Right? You think every Bible-believing preacher in the world didn't think Hitler, Stalin, and Mussolini was the Antichrist? Jesus has got to be coming back in the next 10 seconds, right? But he didn't. Here we are. I'm not mocking the meaning that may exist in those conversations. But it only goes as far as it ought to go. We worship God. We trust Him. We depend upon Him. We believe Him. He's the everlasting Father. We are not bound by American politics. We are not bound by the reach of the flag. We are not bound by our obsessions and our ideas and our traditional views. We're not bound by those. We are should be deepened by the everlasting Father whose wisdom is unsearchable, whose ways are past finding out. Don't be bounded, be deepened. And finally, the Prince of Peace, don't be bothered. Don't be bothered. Be devoted. He's the Prince of Peace. Why are we so disturbed? Have you guys seen the self-help section in the average bookstore? Are we really that loopy? How hard is it to get up, go to work, work a job, make some money, come home, be nice to your family, eat your dinner, behave yourself, get up and do it again, do it about five or six days a week, pay your bills on time, don't borrow for things you can't afford, and enjoy your family, watch a little TV but not too much, serve your church and give yourself to it, and be nice to your enemies, love your wife, raise your kids, spend time with them. Why is that so hard? Man, if I've got a pot of coffee, literally, a pot of coffee and a bowl of Millennium Crunch, can I get an amen? I mean, it might as well be the millennial rain for me. I'm so happy. I'd like to be rich. Who wouldn't? I worked in Chicago years ago, and Lisa and I met up there, and we go back there for vacation, and we'll plan around some fancy places to eat, and we'll go to those fancy places, and eat expensive food for a few days and little in the expensive shops and, you know, look at, you know, $500 socks and, you know, all that nonsense. And, and yeah, there's a part of me that like to be able to go down to the dealership tomorrow and buy a new truck and get what I want, not have to sweat a payment. But that's not what, I, I'm not so, where I'm at, I'm a preacher, I'm a little small, I'm a mutt. <laughs> I'm just glad to be here. Why? Should I be bothered by things that don't matter? I got a text from my son today that said, you are the best friend I've ever had, and I can't put it into words. Keep your cotton-picking truck. I'll take that text. The Bible says to be careful for nothing. We're full of care. We're just wrung out over things that don't matter. Wear ourselves out. 
Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace which passeth understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Yes. Pray about it. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. All that Christianity that you've been believing, it's real. Get back to living it. Right? Get back to (laughs) slow down and taste your food. You understand what I'm saying? Stop running in church and running out. Come in and get something. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together.